And can I just add my encouragement to Mike to, uh, to bring your encouragements this evening? Uh, we've just been hearing that God can speak through a donkey. So uh, if you're nervous about sharing with others, remember God can speak through all sorts of different people. Let's pray before we come to his word. Father, we thank you uh, that we can gather together this morning. Father, thank you for your word and pray that you'd speak to us by your spirit this morning as we look into it. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to imagine for a moment that I'm not here. Don't all get up and leave or cheer, I don't know which one it would be. But uh, I want you to imagine this morning that the preacher who's come to speak is not me, but the Lord Jesus. And he's got free reign to speak on whatever he wants to. I mean, no one, none of us is going to argue with Jesus, are we, about what he wants to preach on. What would he speak about? What do you think Jesus would preach Perhaps some of you imagine that he would preach about love. I mean, that's a pretty important theme in the Bible. Perhaps some of you would imagine that he would preach about the evils of the world today. Or more likely, the evils within the church today. Perhaps that's something he could preach on. Perhaps the danger with this exercise, really, is that we would imagine that Jesus would preach on whatever we would like him to preach on. Or tell us what we would like to hear, rather than what we need to hear. Thankfully, as we come to Mark's Gospel this morning, we don't have to imagine what Jesus preached. Actually, Mark knew what Jesus preached, and he tells us here. He gives us a summary of Jesus' preaching while he was here on earth. And it's not long, only 15 words in the original. You could tweet this, and you still have space for all those annoying emojis at the end, you know, to sort of add things on. But here, Mark gives us the heart of Jesus' message. And Mark calls it the Gospel of God. God's good news. What Matthew calls the gospel of the kingdom. And it's no surprise because really at the heart of what Jesus is talking about is the kingdom. And we'll see in a few moments time what that means. But that's the heart of what he's talking about. So our first two points this morning are going to be looking at that message that Jesus brings of the kingdom and how we respond And then our third point this morning is going to be looked at living that out in the life of his first disciples. So first of all, the Messiah's message, the wait is over. Have a look with me if you've got a Bible there, just at verse 14 and 15. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand. The start of Jesus' message is that the time is fulfilled And the kingdom of God is at hand. But what time is he talking about? And what is the kingdom of God for that matter? I mean, I don't know if you know this, but the phrase doesn't appear at any point before this in the Bible. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, it's not in the Old Testament. He's actually coming up with something that's that's new in terms of a phrase. But he seems to be saying that actually the people are waiting for this. That the time is now up, the time is over. And the time being fulfilled, the idea is massive if you think about it. Jesus is saying that all that they've been waiting for is over. All that they've been expecting and longing for is now here. The wait is over, the future is now. And that's what we'll see in the life of death, in the life of death of Jesus. You were waiting for a prophet like Moses, well I'm here. You're waiting for the Messiah while I'm here. You're waiting for the suffering servant. I'm here. You're waiting for the serpent pusher from Genesis 3. I'm here. We've been seeing this, haven't we, in the other passages. 
You're waiting for the Spirit to be poured out. Well, I'm the one who will baptise with the Holy Spirit. You've been waiting for hearts of flesh rather than hearts of stone. Well, I've come to give you them. You're waiting for a king in the line of David. Well, I'm here. You're waiting for a kingdom that would never end. Well, the wait is over. That's what Jesus is saying. The wait is over. I've come to give you those things. The time is the time for waiting is over. It begins now. As it says in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20, all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Jesus. Jesus is saying that the countdown is over. Christ the King is here. And that makes sense then when we start to think about why he's talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here and at hand because the king has arrived on the scene. Anointed by the prophet John. Anointed by the Holy Spirit as we saw last week. The king is here. But if he's the king, then where is his kingdom? Well, as Jesus says to Pilate in John's Gospel, my kingdom is not of this world. It's not a kingdom with borders and banners. You can't point to it on a map. And things get really messed up, haven't they, in history when people try to do that. Point to a certain place and say, this is the kingdom. The kingdom is in the people who acknowledge Jesus as their king. Where Jesus reigns. The kingdom is where he rules. So biblical theologian Graham Goldsworthy defines it like this. It's become quite famous. God's people, in God's place, under his rule and blessing. I'll say that again. God's people, in God's place, under his rule and blessing. That's the kingdom. And looked at it through that angle, even though the phrase never appears, really that's the theme of the whole Bible, isn't it? That's what you see in the Garden of Eden. God's people in God's place, enjoying his rule and blessing. It's what you see lost in the fall of humankind as they're thrown out of his place and no longer his people and enjoy curse rather than blessing. It's what you see promised to Abraham, a place, a people, blessing. We only partially see it fulfilled in his descendants, in his offspring. And so that's why the people are waiting for it when Jesus arrives. And it's also what we see fulfilled in the new creation. At the end of time, with all God's people around his throne, in his place, enjoying his rule and blessing. But what Jesus is saying here is that the kingdom starts now. Like we said, with the coming of the Spirit on Jesus, the end starts early, so to speak. The sending of the Spirit, we saw last week, belongs to the end. They're expecting that at the end of time, but actually Jesus brings it in early. The same with the kingdom. The Jews equated the kingdom that they were waiting for with the end of the world. But Jesus brings it in early. He brings in the new kingdom, but currently the other kingdoms remain, don't they? We await that time when there's just the new kingdom. But that's why Jesus speaks of the kingdom in the the Gospels as both a present and a future reality. It's now, and it's not yet. It's begun, but it's not complete. So it's not an accident that Jesus has brought it in. You know, sometimes you've got big films coming up, you know, there's uh, uh, James Bond, one's been waiting for quite a while, hasn't it? And you always get leaks, don't you? 
of, of what the plot's going to be. People leak it in advance. And they're sort of by, well, they're supposed to be by accident. I think it's always to sort of pick up the, uh, uh, the interest in the film. But this is not an accident. Jesus doesn't accidentally bring the kingdom in early. It's on purpose. Why? Because now there is a chance to join that kingdom. To become part of God's people. To come under his rule. To enjoy his blessing. In other words, that we might enjoy salvation. That's why Jesus has brought it in early. You see, Jesus could have come and just ended the world, couldn't he? He could have just brought judgment on almost everyone. And he'd be within his rights to do so. But instead, he gives us chance to get right with him. To go from being in God's bad books to being in his good books. To avoid judgment and enjoy his kingdom forever. That's why he's come. To bring that in so that we can enjoy that and not face judgment. So how do we do that? Well, that's our second point this morning. The right response. Repent and believe. I'll read verse 15 again. And saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now from a human perspective, this is quite simple, isn't it? Two things. Repent and believe. Now before we look at those things though, it's massively important that we understand what Jesus is saying about them. These are not two things that earn salvation. They don't earn us a part in the kingdom. The king offers us free entry. He offers us free pardon. And he himself will pay the entry price, so to speak, as he dies on the cross. Sorry, that's a spoiler if you don't know what happens at the end of Mark's gospel. But Jesus died to deal with our sin. He died to purchase our place in heaven with his blood. And these two things, as we'll see, are not to do with earning that place, because Jesus has already earned it for us, but taking hold of what Jesus has already done. We'll see that as we go through them. So firstly, repent. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word repent? I bet you're imagining somebody probably shouting it. Or, you know, we used to have somebody when I lived in Lancaster used to go around with a big sort of banner and say, repent at the top. Somebody put it on a postcard in Lancaster and say, you know, welcome to Lancaster, we're so friendly. You know, um, having it on a stick or shouting it. The word, though, repent, literally means a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of attitude. In light of the fact that the king is now here, in light of the fact that the time has now come... Something needs to change. You cannot go on as before. You cannot continue in the same attitude and mindset as before. Imagine, for example, if the Queen came to live in Otley. Things would have to change, wouldn't they? The streets would have to be cleaner. The River Wharf would have to be cleaner. We'd have to fill in all those potholes everywhere. They they only do it when we have the cycle races at the moment. But if the Queen was here, they'd have to do it all the time. The shops would have to get posher. Wouldn't they not, late? So we couldn't have the 20p shop anymore. It would have to be the 20 pound shop, wouldn't it? Now, if she came and lived in Ilkley, not a lot would change, would it? But I'm joking, of course. It would be massive, wouldn't it, if the Queen came and lived in our town? Well, Jesus has come into our world. That's what Mark is saying. The King has come, and things cannot remain the same. Jesus has staked his claim to King. King of everything. So self, me, I can no longer be king. 
Career in my life can no longer be king. Family can no longer be king. Because Jesus is the king. So he must be king of our hearts, of our thoughts, of our attitude and of our actions. We must live in line with the new reality. That means turning from our sin, our rebellion against him. Our old sinful ways must end. How can we call him king and yet in our hearts have another king? How can we call him Lord and not do what pleases him? So repentance starts in the mind, but it finds its completion in our actions. It means giving up living for our old ways and ourselves and living for him instead. And if you think about it, that's the only rational, conceivable thing to do since the time is fulfilled and the king is now here. So that's the first thing we must do. Repent. The second thing, believe. Now that word gets banded about a lot more than it used to, really. Believe in better. Believe in you. Just believe. Do you remember Prince of Egypt? Originally I was going to say that it was a few years ago. I looked up, it was 23 years ago. Prince of Egypt. Do you remember Whitney Houston, Mariah Carey? They had that hit. There can be miracles when you believe. Do you know? No, no memories? <clears throat> there can be miracles when you believe. Something along those lines. But if you notice with that song, it never says what you're believing in. Listen to the whole song, no mention. What matters is just that you believe. That's not the way the Bible talks about believing. Belief, faith, trust, all the same word in the Bible. They're always in something. Belief in itself is is sort of neither here nor there, is it? It's what you believe in that gives it its worth. So again, another song that again was going to say a few years ago, Space Jam, do you remember that film? 25 years ago. Uh, The song was I Believe I Can Fly. Remember that? I Believe I Can Fly. Yeah. Don't make me sing it. Um, But you know, with that song there, actually it doesn't matter how much you believe that you can fly, it doesn't make it worth believing in, does it? It's actually worse than, than just neutral, isn't it? If you actually believe that you can fly, you might actually hurt yourself trying to fly. It can be quite dangerous. So it's not believing that gives something its value. It's what you believe in. So what are we to believe in? Verse 15. We're to believe in the gospel. Believe in the good news. Now this is quite... Strange for Mark to say this, normally in the Bible, the Bible talks about believing in Jesus, or believing in him, meaning Jesus. That's over 50 times in the New Testament. So which is it? Is it the gospel or is it Jesus? Well, the two go together, don't they? The gospel is about Jesus. The gospel really is Jesus, otherwise we'd have to believe in two things. We're to put a trust, our trust in a person and what he's done for us. No Jesus, no gospel. So, for example, forgiveness is not the gospel. Not the whole of it, anyway. If it's detached from Jesus, if we just say, oh, the great thing is that you get forgiven, well, the danger is that we'll love forgiveness, but not Jesus. As well, God has a wonderful plan for your life. It's not the gospel. It may be true, but on the surface of it, what has that got to do with Jesus? God loves you is not the gospel. It's true. But again, it's the best half of the gospel, isn't it? 
So think about John 3.16. Uh, it's as if we sort of trimmed it down even further. I mean, it's not very long, is it? We sort of start, for God so loved the world. And we sort of stop there. As if that was enough. But John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The gospel is that this great king of the kingdom came to lay down his life for his rebellious subjects. To give his life to free them from the devil's tyranny, from slavery to sin, and to bring them to new life, which begins now and carries on into eternity. Or as Jesus himself will put it in Mark's gospel, Mark 10, 45, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the gospel we believe in. The servant king of the kingdom who lays down his life for his subjects. That is who we are to believe in. And when we say believe, it's not I believe in like you believe in the yeti or you believe in the tooth fairy. Believing as in trusting. Like when someone says, I believe in you. They're not saying they believe you exist. That would be a bit of a non-statement, wouldn't it? It's talking about trust. We don't trust in ourselves to put ourselves right with God, in our good works or our, our niceness. We trust in Jesus to put us right with God. So we have to repent, have Jesus as king, not ourselves, and to believe in Jesus, not in ourselves, to be put right with God. And that's why these things don't earn us salvation with God. Because actually they're both not really to do with us, are they? They're both to do with Jesus. Both things say that Jesus is boss, is Lord, is saviour, not ourselves. So just those two things there. Because Jesus is that promised king who would deal with sin. We're to repent, have him as king, and believe in him to put us right with God. Now that might sound a bit confusing, a bit academic, if you're hearing it for the first time. But Mark immediately gives us two examples of what that looks like. So our last point, the immediate example for fishermen. Have a look at verses 16 to 18. Passing along the Sea of Galilee, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Mark wants us to see Jesus' incredible authority as king. Jesus calls and they answer. There's much more going on. We know that from John's gospel, other things have been happening. But it's quite astonishing the way that Mark puts it here, isn't it? Imagine for a second you're at work. Sorry for those retired folk, I don't mean to bring you back into <laughs> the daily uh, drudge. But imagine you're at work and you're in your office and the colleague next to you is halfway through a report on his computer. And someone comes along and says, hey, be my disciple." And your friend just steps up from his computer, leaves his report and walks off. Doesn't even log off his computer. That's sort of what's happening here. You'd be like, well, what's going on? Yet that's what happens with Simon, who will later be called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. Jesus shows his kingly authority. He summons his subjects. And he tells them that they will be fishers of men. Now, I have to accredit the next bit to Lewis, because he made me promise my son Lewis. Uh, this was Lewis's way of explaining what's happening here when we were doing Bible time a few weeks ago. 
Simon goes from being a fisherman to being a man-fisher. Okay, that's what's happening. He goes from being a fisherman to being a man-fisher. Part of being a subject of this kingdom is going to be bringing other people into the kingdom. Right from the start, Jesus is clear about what that means. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because this is about a rescue. That's what Jesus is talking about, a rescue. Jesus doesn't want people who are just going to keep the good news to themselves. You know, phew, as long as I'm safely in the kingdom, well, everybody else, that's fine. Part of their role of subjects of the king will be to help and to tell others, as we'll see throughout the book. So that is what they're there to do. Jesus calls them and they come to be fishers of men. The next pair is another two brothers, James and John. Have a look at verses 19 and 20. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now this pair, James and John, they're obviously a bit richer than Andrew and Simon Peter. It seems their father owns the boat and has servants. So it seems like they're part of the family business, if you like. They've got a bit of money. But they still leave when Jesus calls. Andrew and Simon, it seems, were just leaving a job, so to speak. But here, James and John are leaving the family business. The business one day, no doubt, would have probably been theirs. And yet they go. And these guys are there as examples of what faith and repentance looks like. But is it, does it mean that we have to do exactly the same as them? Are we to quit our jobs? Leave our family? Start a new life? No. But if it did, would that be too much for Jesus to ask? If we really did have to leave our jobs and leave our family? Would that be too much for him to ask to be in his kingdom? We need to consider that, don't we, before we look at why it doesn't mean those things. Because if we're saying that would be too much, then we've not understood the call of Jesus. And actually, in some parts of the world, it still means that. In some parts of the world, becoming a believer will mean that you'll lose your job. Because your employer won't employ you anymore. It will mean that your family will disown you. May even cost you your life in some places. Would it still be worth it? What it does show us is that things cannot remain the same. We have a new allegiance that now transcends job and family. Ultimately, it's to Jesus that we listen to now. And for the first disciples, it was clear what it meant to follow Jesus. It involved using their legs, didn't it? They literally would follow after him. And yet there were those who followed but didn't follow. Judas followed with his legs, but he didn't believe with his heart. He didn't turn from his sin. To follow in its simplest sense here is to go behind with Jesus in front. That's literally what the word means, to go behind with Jesus in front. Jesus comes first and we come after him. We follow behind him. We follow his lead. We listen to his voice above all others. He is the king and we are his subjects. The time has come, the kingdom is here, so we must turn from our old ways and believe and follow him. And that's true even if you're not yet a Christian. You see, Mark is trying to show us that Jesus is king of everything. He's the Messiah, he's the judge, 
whether we believe that or not. It took my boys a little while to adjust to the fact that we had a new Prime Minister, you know, last time we had a general election, because they'd learned, you know, who is the Prime Minister, Theresa May. And it took them a while to work out that that wasn't the Prime Minister anymore. But just believing that someone else is in charge doesn't make that true. I know that some of us would like it if we could do it that way, but it's not. Mark is showing us that Jesus is king, and that means that we've all got a decision to make. But it's also true for us if we're Christians here this morning, whether we've been a Christian 50 minutes or 50 years. We need to keep turning from our sin and trusting in him. It's not just something that we do once, it's something that we start doing once and we keep doing. And it might still mean some radical changes in our lives, as we bring our lives in line with the reality that Jesus is king. And is there anything that our king can't ask? And if you think in your head that there is, perhaps that's the area we really need to think about. And we really need to make changes. So if Jesus was still up here this morning, what would he preach? We don't have to imagine, do we? We've heard it. The time is fulfilled. The wait is over. The kingdom of God is at hand. The king is here. Repent. Have me as your king. And believe in the gospel. Trust in me alone. For your salvation. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you that he is our king. And Father, we are sorry that so often we live as though he's not. Father, help us to live in line with his rule and reign. Father, help us to do things that please him rather than please ourselves. Father, help us to trust in him alone for our salvation, not in our goodness or kindness, but in him and his death on the cross. And we ask it in his name. Amen.